0: Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate it. Just a reminder that we put this podcast out three times a week, but we don't always know which days it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen is to subscribe. Get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Okay, that's enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. i Ben James. It's a slightly different podcast today. Simon Thomas has been speaking to John Mulverhill, Cardiff Blues head coach, while I've been speaking to Telegraph writer Charlie Morgan. So let's not waste any time listening to me rattle on at this intro. Let's get straight into it, starting with Simon's chat with John Mulverhill.
1: I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast.
2: John we'll start talking about the World Cup don't like to bring it up being an Australian situation although I do notice you're now referring to Wales as we but um, just talking generally about the World Cup so far what have you made of it both on the field and off the field that's someone who knows Japan yeah I
1: think off the field it's been a major success if you look at um, any video blogs that the supporters have put out mm. they're absolutely loving it um, the Japanese are beautiful people they'll, they'll be very helpful so they they've because so rugby's not a massive sport in Japan no. but they will they will support anything that's on there um, that, that comes their way so they're open to that they're enjoying it so I think as a spectacle it's been fantastic some of the rugby's been really good you, show, you, show, you saw it early that there were a lot of mistakes early in the games because have a there's a word called, called Mushiyatsui, which means hot and wet. So the ball would have been very, very slippery, um, and to play in it, it feels like you've just had a shower in, in New jersey, and in your jersey, you run out and play. So I think teams have taken a bit of time to get used to those conditions, and there are, I think the rugby, as the cream comes to the top, is going to will get better and better.
2: What are you made of the reaction back home in Australia then to the, the Wales game? There was a lot of talk, a lot of questions about various decisions. But
1: did you think the better team won, John? I think the better team won won the first <laughs> half, and and I, and I think they held on really well in the second yeah. half, which is good. But um, and I spoke to Ellis Jenkins, and he said, oh, "I haven't had a go at you about about the Wallabies losing." And I said, "Well, mate, three of them, three of my boys played for Wales, so we need to need to get in and support them. Um, and I, and it's good that both both the the Wallabies and Wales are in, in different pools, and they, if they come together later on, it'll be a final, which would be fantastic. So, I think rugby in Australia it's the third sport. You have um, Aussie rules and rugby. League in front of it so it's always vying for good stories but I suppose any story to keep it in the press so talking about referees and, um, and bad decisions went against them I think they're just that, that desperate to, to do well and to have success and I think sometimes that desperation um, bubbles over a bit and I, I just think we, we, didn't, we don't need, Australians aren't um, uh, a country of whingers and moaners and no. we need to just get on with it <laughs>
2: As a coach, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of talk about the high tackles and so forth, there. but in terms of the style of the rugby you've seen, you often see things different happening at World Cups. There's been a couple of drop goals, which you don't see that too much
1: of. Anything you've seen different? There's been a lot of cross-kicking, isn't there, John? Yeah, well, the the way that defences now are so... uh, the line speed is so big there's obviously opportunities to put the ball wide and you had a look at um, both New Zealand I think and, and Africa kicked off the first off a kickoff they took a ruck and then kicked to the side as well so there's just opportunities to when they see space they've got good players who can who can get in there attacking wise there's two, there's two ways they're attacking at the moment they've gone from the 1-3-3-1 one, three, three, one, so one player on the edge, three forwards in a one group, three forwards and the one on the edge some of the teams are playing a 2-4-2 um, a two, two, uh, sorry a, a one a four, four in the middle and boys on the edge so yes. it's a little bit, little bit different um, those are the teams that are probably more on the carry side of things whereas the, the teams that want to use the ball try and hold that width on the edge Because
2: good, if someone knows they're talking about it, John. I usually have this with Andy Howell, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's uh, moving up a few grades. (laughs) Um, Tell me then, in terms of the the blues players um, who've been involved out there, you must be pleased with the way they're going.
1: Yeah, really good. Um, we're looking forward to seeing um, Hallam hopefully play uh, next week as well, so that all of them get game time. But obviously, when Dylan uh, Dylan gets on, his minutes minutes have to count, and he seems to come on at the end of every test these days. Uh, he might get a start at some stage. Navs has been enormous. and you know, Thomas is is just Thomas. He he'd be knocking on the door for a, for a start, but the other boys a little bit a mm. little bit in front of him at the moment. So um, all doing doing really well, and um, hopefully hopefully we can, you can see them in the semi-finals and finals
2: Turning to the Blues then I mean the, the fact that you've, you've got those boys there but some other regions have mostly got more and some of the other uh, Celtic sides have got a lot of players away are you in quite a good position do you think in terms of your squad and you know the cover you do have for the players who are away and the way things are shaping up early season
1: Yeah I think we, we've done really well it's basically the same team that finished off the last season um, we don't have Dylan we have Dimitri Ahip um, we don't have but Nick Williams, Nick Williams is there um, at the moment. We st- still don't have Ellis and Ollie Robinson that is there. We got Jared back, which was great. Yeah. Um, we got Owen Lane back, which was good, and we we didn't have Hallam or Josh last year either. So yeah. it's pretty much um, a pretty settled group, and hopefully they will put us in good step, particularly in the first five or six games where. Other teams will be a little bit depleted. And when, when the Welsh teams come back, there's looking at um, their agreements with the union, they'll have to have some, some time off as well. So most of the, the boys who play majority of the minutes we'll probably have up to 4 to 6 weeks off. So this right. is going to be, this is going to extend even further. So when
2: would you I mean say Wales got to the World Cup final which is on November the 2nd, when yeah. would you Blues fans realistically see Josh Navidi playing?
1: We mightn't see him until Christmas time really. really? Uh, d- definitely the the Derbies they'll be available for that, but um, in their agreement that they need to have time off after the cup, so you'd be thinking that the boys that are on the reserves bench or not a lot of game time, there'd be individual plans for them, and we might see them back a lot a lot earlier. But you know, I don't think the Ospreys are going to see Alan Win for for quite quite no. a while, and then and then you, you look at having a team that's quite settled then you're bringing these internationals back and then they leave six or seven weeks later because they go on, on to a Six Nations as well so I think it's got to be carefully planned around introductions back into teams as well
2: Now last season you went as we were talking earlier you went played three lost three at the start you started uh, with uh, you said to me a few weeks ago we need to start well yeah. you've got the first win under your belt now you've got Edinburgh up against a, a wily coach in Richard Cocker is someone you've come across much in rugby over the years
1: oh, not, not as a player but obviously no. as, as a coach and no, he's, he's a good man Cockers and you know, <laughs> every time we go on a conference it's good to spend a bit of time with him but he'll prepare a team a certain way and, and they we've watched the last three games the two games leading into the last week's game and they haven't changed too much, they're pretty physical, very direct a lot like the way that he played and he he demands line speed, he demands big kick chase and mm. he gets that and he's developing a really strong group up there.
2: Important for you as well, your first home league game isn't it because um, home and generally been pretty good in, in your time?
1: Yeah well last year we were only beaten by Saris um, Glasgow and Leinster by a point mm, in that first teams, game yeah. so and we won all, all our others so if we can keep our, our home record um, healthy and then we win more than we lost the last year away from home I think we'll give ourselves a, a big chance but certainly the boys are really excited about being back here they love playing on that really hard fast surface and we're looking forward to a massive contest against a team that, that put 50 on the zebra last week and they're mm. going to come in with good form but um, I just think the best will come out in us tomorrow
2: and it's very much your home now isn't it with the changes of the summer I mean, just talk people through a little yeah, look, how we'll, well that's working
1: yeah Willis Halaholo was saying you know this is definitely our home now yes. so we trained at the Vale last year and we'd come in once a week into here and at the at arms park and do our captain's run and play on the weekend so we're in there every day now so we train at the arms park all of our weights and nutrition and, and medical and meetings are done there and uh, then we train at the that whiz across the road the institute of sport on their ground so the boys have spent a lot of time in and around it's great that there's actually a physical presence in town as well so hopefully that will rub off and we get more support on the back of that but it's definitely our home and no one wants to get beaten at home now
2: now, a few of the boys are going back and forth between Sophia Gardens and the Arms Park on their scooters. Have you even tentated to take that
1: up, John? No, I'm walking Walking <laughs> at the moment, but I'm uh, happy to report there's been no accidents or incidents and uh, the, the races are still on and uh, Matthew Morgan seems to be the quickest on the scooter. I think he's a little bit lighter than some of the other big boys on him, so they're having a bit of fun. And That's that's what we talked about. About If we're coming back in to the Arms Park, there are a lot of things that, could go wrong and if the attitude was wrong so we said let's make it a bit of fun get your scooters get your bikes, start walking and let's just move on together because we couldn't it was out of our control us coming back mm. so we have to make the best of it
2: tell us John then about some of the uh, the biggest characters in that blue squad when you were there at a team meeting who's the ones that pipe up the most who's got the most to say who's the biggest uh but it's chop,
1: Yeah, well, there's a, <laughs> the the Matthew Morgan, Alan Summerhill. There's always a little bit of banter there. That uh, coaches asking them questions that the coaches probably wouldn't know the answers to as well. <laughs> and at other people that spend some um, reskill gets a, uh, you know a bit of banter about it as well. And usually it's on a video diary or something that he's done <laughs> over the weekend, so that comes up. But they've all you know they've all got a little bit of sense of humour and enjoying each other's company, which is really good.
2: You've been in charge now, sort of there about 15, 16 months. Enjoying it? So, you've been coaching a long time now in professional rugby?
1: Yeah, I have, but uh, I'm really enjoying it here. I think this year we've got a little bit more of the flavour of what I want as a club. I I want it. I inherited someone else's uh, culture and someone else's team last year and we've changed a lot, particularly on the cultural side and we've, we've had some leadership um, uh, courses and meetings that we've gone to and have got speakers in because it's really important and the boys have come up with three things and that is work hard, be consistent and look after your family. The work hard thing, as a Welsh thing, everyone works hard, that's mm. fine, it's, it's a given but they'd be consistent is something that's let us down over the last number of years and that's not just about our on-field results, it's how we prepare how we behave on and off the field as well about being consistent and if you're dropped for a, for a week you've got to think that um, you, you can't lose it because the last one is look after your family so we're all in, in it together, there's going to be days where we don't like the message we get but if we live our values we're going to be a, a lot better for it so I'd like to think that we've got some new players at the club, we've got new standards that we drive and it'll be a little bit about what I want to input on the, on the club this year and again, next year that'll be backed up when we do bring in more players. And
2: lastly, a couple of predictions from you. First, who's going to win the World Cup, and then who's going to win the Pro 14? And you can include yourselves if you wish.
1: Yeah, I, like you can't really go. Well, you can't really go away from from the All Blacks and and Leinster because when the both with those teams are, are, are fallen and, and raring to go, like they're very hard to beat. Uh, I think Sarries is about the only team who really beat Leinster last year, uh, and the All Blacks I think have put themselves um, in the frame. They've started really well. Uh, they've had a big break between some of their games as well Um, but when it comes down to you know a two horse race you know when it comes to a final um, probably France should have beaten them in 2011 they got very close there's only a one point victory there and um, the, the, the Wallabies led into halftime. They got the bounce of the ball in 2015 and, and then New Zealand showed their class and, and went away. But if you can go toe-to-toe like Africa have done with them for longer periods of time, you can take them to places that they haven't been to before. So teams will compete with them for 60 minutes and they'll get blown away. Uh, you can see that the Africa's wins are, and Wallabies' wins over the last uh, six months has been and they've gone after them for the full 80 minutes. So mm. if a team can do that, they can win. But at the moment, uh, they just find ways to use the ball, move the ball and defend and attack the ball a little bit better than everyone else.
2: And maybe Wales and the Blues to make those finals respectively. Would you settle for that?
1: I would, I would love that. It would be fantastic. <laughs> be absolutely fantastic. Like we, We've got to be... Um, uh, understand where we are at the moment in, in our group, we'll obviously be better again next year but I think our, our, um, our aims are to be top three in our pool which means we play finals and when you get to finals anything can happen and we need to get out of our Challenge Cup pool and we're really looking forward to that as well but I think last year we, in some parts we thought too far ahead, this year it's definitely one game at a time and really looking forward to this week's game against Edinburgh
2: Brilliant. Thanks for joining us, John, and um, all the best this weekend.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Okay, so we're now joined on the podcast by The Telegraph's uh, Charlie Morgan. Charlie, how are you doing?
3: I'm very well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me, mate.
0: No worries. Um, you've been out in Japan for for, for a while, haven't you? Uh, how are you, you recovering?
3: Uh, slowly, uh, yeah. It's a whistle top saw sort of um, two weeks, four games in four different cities. couple of a Couple of England games. Um, New in South Africa and finished off with uh, probably the best one actually, Wales, Wales Australia. So yeah, really, really lucky. But kind of it's been a slow recovery getting back, and actually it's probably been uh, beneficial staying on that on that time zone because of all the games coming thick and fast in the morning now.
0: You're well practiced then, of sort of being up nice and early.
3: That's right, yeah, yeah, I can't really complain, cause I'm sort of i I'm, I'm acclimatized already, so no i'm uh, I'm not complaining,
0: obviously, while you're out there, you probably had a pretty good chance to um to look at some of the sort of tactical trends um I suppose for listeners who don't know your work, you're probably one of the the, the best writers uh in rugby at the minute when it comes to sort of breaking down the game tactically and, and sort of uh illustrating what's going on and and I think you you did a piece sort of breaking down a few of the trends that we've seen so far in the World Cup I suppose you could talk a little bit about those
3: yeah sure I think, I think well it all kind of comes back to very uh, kind of you uh, first of all but it all kind of comes back to you sort of like when you're, when you're looking at an overview of it I think Eddie Jones put it really really well um before sides went out there, before sides started playing, that he said that because we were going to Japan in new territories, it was going to be really alien for everybody. And he bangs on about the you know the theme of adaptability and how how teams kind of need to figure out, problem solve in game. Now, what we've found, what we've seen um, is that the humidity has really, really affected games, whether they've been indoors or whether they've been outdoors, because it's been a particularly hot September out and. Out in Japan. So what? Again, to to use Jones, I was round him a fair bit in a few of his press conferences. He was saying, "Look, it's it's wet weather rugby when the sun's shining because it's that's it's that sweaty." And um, for a while, we've kind of seen around the world that uh, possession possession stats are meaningless now. You know, it not isn't, isn't just that you can say, "Oh, this team's had seventy percent possession in the game, therefore they should have scored more points," because actually. Defensive systems are so good, particularly, you know, aggressive ones like, like Sean Edwards is implied with Wales. Um, those, those defensive systems are so good that the best ways of scoring tries sometimes are by forcing errors. And then you can attack in a structured rugby. And that's really, really, really comes to the fore. So, um, and you know, there's one one way of one way of forcing those areas and forcing those unstructured situations is is by you know, aggressive defence line speed, choke tackles, jackals, stuff that Wales are fantastic at. And the other way, I guess, is kick pressure. So that's what England have been really good at. That's what um, South Africa have been really good at in the in the build up. Um, and then you've got sides. So you've got sides. If you look at Ireland, they're used to kind of imparting pressure through phase play and just kind of relentless. Ball recycling. New Zealand are probably um, good enough and adaptable enough to, to switch between both styles of play, um, and that's but that's kind of really been the interesting standoff is you know, how the teams use the ball. Whether it's whether it's actually. Um, counter-intuitively probably better to, to have the ball for a small amount of time and just to kick very, very well and pin opposition sides in their own half and then try and try and force errors and feed off those. The other team that's kind of gone the other way, which is why um, last Sunday was such an interesting clash of stars as Australia because you know, traditionally they, they use the ball really, really well. Um, they didn't in the first half against Wales, but they, they came, they stuck to their guns and sort of with a few changes, a few guys coming off the bench, they, they, they pressurised Wales through, through that possession. And we'll talk about it later on, I'm sure. But sort of when they played Fiji earlier in the week, it's kind of a good lesson for Wales because in the first half, Australia sort of kicks and they kicked badly and they gave these kind of strike runners loads of space to attack. Um, in the second half they tightened things up they kept the ball and they moved the ball out of their own 22, forced penalties kicks to the corner and then mauled um, mauled really really well, that's been another so as well as, um, to answer your question, sort of the two two big tactical trends coming out of that, really important attacking, kicking, and the chase on top of that that's been a fruitful source of tries and the other thing is uh mauling's been really important so previously maybe with how referees have refed it it might have we might have kind of been forgiven for thinking that the maul had been depowered it's kind of come back into his own which is kind of quite refreshing
1: and
0: you talk, talk about kicking obviously kick passes have been uh, really sort of prevalent haven't they in Japan so sort
3: of, yeah though. yeah big time they, they, i mean they've Somebody like Bowden Barrett has has really made that his own over the last World Cup cycle, and we've seen Dan Bigger, um really kick on fa- fairly recently. He's always 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 been pretty good at it, but he's he's looked really really sharp at it recently. I don't know whether having a little bit of time with Chris Boyd um, at Saints might have at Northampton might have helped him. Um, obviously, Bowden Barrett's old coach at, at Hurricanes, but it's just a really good way of making sure that you're using. Um, the full width of the field, and you'll see when you watch Wales that what they're fantastic at, and what brings them a lot of attacking um, opportunities in in transition is how well they hold their width. So there'll always be one winger right hugging that touchline because they know that somebody like Dan Bigger is fantastic at finding that space so I think so far the time of writing sorry the time of writing time speaking um there's we've had 15 tries directly from kicks and that doesn't include you know that's that's directly into into a teammate's arms or a kick pass or a grubber or a chip over the middle or or whatever there's been 15 of them and um this is just after the uh, just after friday's games 15 of them and then so many more whereby tries have come when kick pressure's been built up and there's been a poor clearance and there's been a kick return that's that's finished in a try or you know there's been field position carved out by really clever kicking or even just a kick kind of earlier on in a scoring sequence where a kick has made the line break and then guys have followed up to score kicking has just been so important and that's because it's, it's just a really good means of putting pressure back on kicking and contesting is such a good means of putting pressure back on the opposition when you don't necessarily want the ball because it could be you that's giving up the error
0: It's interesting you talked about Wales holding their width um, we, we've seen them hold their width with ball in hand as well haven't we um, I suppose a few people have sort of probably accused them of playing quite laterally but that's probably, it's probably not the case is it, it's probably the, uh, a sort of a, necess- a necessity isn't it that with with the fact they don't have many big ball carriers.
3: Massively. Yeah. You look at look at Wales's back line and obviously apart from they're the only guys apart from South Africa and, and France, I think, that don't have a, a Pacific Islander in their midfield. If you look at it like that, they don't and then as well, I think we're gonna talk about their, their back row later on. They don't necessarily have that big ball carrier. And you and you don't have to this whole thing, you talk to talk to kind of coaches at the cutting edge of the game now and they're saying that, look, one of the biggest fallacies is earn the right to go ride at, wide. sorry. Actually, a little tip on pass, a little bit of footwork in midfield can be just as effective as a big kind of barreling, pole punching run because it's all about you only need that little bit of momentum to generate um, enough go forward to go wide. And it actually makes sense for Wales to play that coast to coast game a lot because their threats, if you look at their. their their best runners and George, George North, Josh Adams, Liam Williams, they're, they're probably going to be, well, most of the time they're going to be in those 15, 15, meter channels. You've got forwards like Ken Owens, who's really, who's really comfortable there to prick the same. Um, and actually, you know, big feature as you've, as you know, and you've written about yourself, the, 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 the really kind of prevalent way that Wales did punch holes around the breakdown was by bringing those wingers in because they, it just happens that they're the most potent runners so you know you'd use them in any any which way you can really so yeah i, I think the lateral things probably blowing that out of proportion if you think it's a real problem for Wales attack well, actually it's probably the the smartest way they can go about go about um, using the ball you know and and as we've uh, kind of, as we've spoken about earlier on they don't they won't want the ball for that long anyway so yeah, it's really interesting. It's been, you know, in the early stages of that that Australia game, I was really struck by how slick they looked in those transitions, how how good their ball movement looked, and how much they threatened Australia. And I sort of went away from that, um, as their as their scrum platform sort of struggled a bit, and their line-out got a few, there were a few couple of steals, weren't there? So, um, but yeah, no, I, I certainly don't certainly don't think it's a problem. I think it's smart more than anything.
0: Because it's interesting, we talk about sort of the Welsh fitness maybe being superior than a lot of teams and we'd have expected Wales to sort of push that wide game late on in matches to sort of create even more sort of space you know as you're getting towards the 80th minute there's probably more spaces to get sort of George North and Josh Adams and Liam Williams into the game but the way the first two matches have gone it's been a case where Wales have really come out the blocks and attacked early on and then they've sort of Maybe deliberately, maybe not deliberately. Sort of depends on the context of the match. But they spent the second half really defending quite a lot.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I think I think probably you're looking at different reasons for that, aren't you? In the first couple of games, so Georgia they had they had the bonus points sewn up, and it was a case of you know. However, however good your intentions are, it is really difficult to keep it keep it on for that. Length of time they still scored some nice put some nice rugby together in the in the second half against Georgia against see, Australia they also sort Courage of
0: carry on it they also sort of played quite tight didn't they in, in the yeah. parts against Georgia I don't know whether that's maybe trying to sort of see how that game works because it didn't really work in in the warm ups did it but they did a lot of one up running in which Georgia dealt with but
3: yeah. Yeah, the, um, the yeah, I think I think there's certainly going to be an amount of experimentation in those sorts of games. I think they might see that as well again, against Uruguay. I think the Australia game, when you get to, and I th- and I really think I think Australia is kind of a almost a, a sleeping threat in this tournament, and even more so now they've lost that game. I think. The way they the way they figured things out against Fiji was really really impressive. They've got hardened kind of tournament players. David Pocock's looking pretty like, omin- ominously good for everybody else. So is Samu Karevi. I think it was a really really good win for Wales. More so because they had to weather that momentum shift. And when you get two sides like Australia, Wales, who are quarterfinal teams, they'll be pushing for semi final places at the very least. You're going to have those momentum shifts. So Australia, we're always going to have a good spell, and you, speak, you always speak to players after games when you know they talk about weathering storms in games and weathering kind of um, good spells from opponents. You just go into games knowing that that's going to happen because the side you're playing is is particularly cohesive and they do have enough good players that even if you know Bernard Foley has a shocking 40 minutes, makes a few mistakes, and Will Guinea is... Getting, um getting intercepted they've still got the class to kind of get them through and put some phases together you know so I don't know. I would I would be reluctant to question Wales fitness I think'll They're still they'll still be one of the strongest one of the kind of cardiovascularly strong sides in the competition I think they would I think that was just a momentum shift to be honest and they did really well once Australia got back to within the point to To pull it back again and to and to get over the line because Australia are no mugs and I think they're they're going to challenge at the the latter stages of this tournament for sure.
0: I suppose the fitness just came through in a different way, didn't it? Because Wales, you know, as you say, had to weather the storm for 40 minutes. Do you think Sean Edwards would maybe be a little disappointed with how Australia sort of managed to to break down the Wales defence in in sort of that third quarter?
3: He, yes and no. I think he'll always be, I think he'll always be disappointed when he's a, he's a perfectionist and he's a, he's a really, he's a hard standard driver. But what Australia did so well was to kind of, to flip the script a bit, you know, they were, as you again, as, again, you've written about Gareth Davis was picking, was reading their phase play so well. I mean that was actually turning possession into a hindrance for Australia because they were giving up points and giving up field position and, and coughing up errors while they had the ball. When they brought on Nick White, they changed tack and he was running a bit from the base. And you had Matt Tamur out the back of that forward pod that they were running off the scrum half. He was sort of off the back of that. And they were getting a bit. Of go, they were getting a bit of go forward anyway. So with White sniping, they offered it just a totally different threat. And I feel like. You know, it's the same Australia side that put forty odd on put forty odd on New Zealand. So actually to, to hold them to um, whatever it was, twenty five, you know, isn't isn't the isn't the worst effort in the world and and if you look at it, there were nice conditions. It was that wasn't as um, as sweaty as the games we've seen, so it was actually pretty kind of conducive to ball movement and pretty it was a fast track, a good track as well. Um Wales should have should have made could have easily have scored uh, one try you know one try more in that first half so it, it was a it was a good win in which they had to to weather a clever attacking side you know they they fell they fell down a couple of times but again you factor in that that was partly what was partly to blame there was a scrum that was struggling and and coughing up penalties so yeah I mean. It, Sean was will be will be disappointed. It's a short answer, but still, so many more positives I think to take from that win.
0: I suppose another we saw another trend, didn't we, in that game as well, which was drop goals. Um, we saw damn bigger pop on over after thirty six seconds, and then Reese Patchell did. I think it was about three minutes into the the second half. It, it, they seem to be something that we we rarely see in test rugby, and then a World Cup comes around, and suddenly you know everyone's doing them.
3: Yeah, really, really funny. It's um. Well, i went through a few, a few stats about, about drop goals and how, and it was really interesting to see how kind of we, it's actually it's the low, it's a lower rate of drop goal attempts per game this time round and in 2015 but they always tend to crop up at interesting moments and and kind of match game shaping moments so 2015 dan dan carter had got something like two in his entire career in the build up to the um you know two in this 100 plus test career in the build up to the 2015 knockouts I remember being at being at the game, New Zealand South Africa at Twickenham, and watching him in the warm up, and he was just practicing drop goal after drop goal after drop goal. And I thought he's, you know, he's he's got two in his test career. Surely that's just not even in his psyche. He got a couple in that game, or, or certainly at least one in that game, and then another in the final. Um, I think teams, you know, that you you talk about defense winning world cups. I think certainly what we saw from Wales um, is that is that. That's a proactive step with the, with how cohesive and how effective their defence is. It's, it's It makes it more effective the fact that they can just take points and, and keep that scoreboard ticking over. And and it's just really clever. It's really clever stuff from Dan you know, Bigger and so many sides. They won that they won that counter-rocking turnover, didn't they, at the, the very first rock of the game. Went a couple of phases, weren't necessarily making any headway and he just stepped back I thought that was really I thought it was really proactive you know you can, see, you can look at that as negative and why aren't you once you're in the 22 looking for a try looking for seven points but if you just take three and you know and you have that confidence in your defence it's like it's like what we talk about with Wales Fitness they they think and they kind of have this self-belief about their fitness therefore it's, it's, in, it's imposing it's intimidating to play against it's the same with their defence if they're taking three and going, right, okay, you've got to to score more than three to be ahead of us and you've got to score more than three against our defensive system that we're so confident in, it makes it a more effective tactic for sure. I
0: suppose it comes down to, you look at the Wales bench, as good as the players are on that bench, it's not a bench built for chasing, is it? So I suppose it's putting your eggs in the basket that you build a lead in the first half and then you back your fitness and you back that bench to close the game out. Like people like Owen Walken, they're brilliant defensively. You saw the rip on on Kerevi, but it's, it's it's not a bench built to really chase, you know, 14 point leads, is it?
3: I'd say that's that's really really fair. Yeah, you've um if you look around the world you'd say sides like Ireland very good at defending leads, not necessarily um built for chasing. Um England have kind of stumbled from Winning positions, obviously, and then sides like Australia and, and New Zealand. I don't know what it is, but whether um, you know, but a lot of that is sort of the ingrained grit that they've got. I think that really is a thing. That was just such an archetypal Australian comeback at the weekend because you know you tell you tell an Australian that they're beaten, they'll get, they'll come back at you, they'll keep coming back at you. That was just it was so predictable that they they hung on like that. New Zealand's just got the firepower that. Whereby sort of no, no leads safe. South Africa have gr- ground back into games against against England, notably last summer. Um, it is interesting. Some sides, some sides, are, are, are suited to being front runners, you know, and um, I, I think that's totally fair to say. And that's a kind of another another reason why it makes sense for Wales to take the points whenever they can.
0: Another sort of interesting dynamic, it's always built up before Wales-Australia games, is the back row. Obviously, when you've got Michael Hooper and David Pocock, it's always going to be a sort of big talking point. But, yeah, in terms of numbers, Wales came out on top in turnovers. Um, And it's an interesting back row, isn't it, for Wales? Because you look at who they've lost. Obviously, they lost Warburton in the last 18 months, two years. They've lost Faletau before the tournament. So they've had to sort of take Josh Navidi, someone who's probably arrived on the test scene later than he might have expected um, Aaron Wainwright's come out of nowhere you know he's literally wasn't playing rugby four years ago and, and they've they've managed to sort of stumble across a, a balance um, that we probably didn't expect even you know you think that Ross Moriarty would have been first choice uh, after F- Faltao got injured but that's not the case
3: yeah I, th- I think what they've stumbled across is three four now with um with that quartet, including including Ross off the bench, just a really resourceful, mobile group. You know, if you, if you look at some, so something that you might think of small as, as small, but is actually really important to how the blend work as blend works as far as a back five of the pack is uh, Justin Tipuix line out jumping. So he's he's the go to jump. He seems to be the go to jumper at the moment because you know, and he's not not necessarily because he's tall, just because he's small. You can get get him up and get the ball away. And, and get the ball into open play where Wales are good um, I think what Josh Navidi gives you is just this hugely uh, resourceful um, industrious guy on both sides of the ball and, and he's, you know, we've seen him it was it was last, I think, the last Six Nations I remember being struck by how comfortable he looked in the wide channels, things like that um, it, it's just that all-round ability that makes it work, you know if you look at other back rows you, you'd kind of be, you'd you balance things out in, in explicit ways. You know, you might have a big carrier at eight with a line-out jumper at six and a groundhog at seven. With Wales, it just seems seems that everybody, all three of them, can pick up the slack in in different ways. And, you, and you're totally right to single out Aaron w- Wayne, right? I thought that was a kind of coming-of-age hour or so did he have against Australia, but it was just fantastic. It seemed to be, every time, kind of, there was a big involvement um, that, that was... Kind of sapping momentum from Australia and, and giving Wales energy. He seemed to be at the heart of that, whether that was, you know, big, whether that was a big hit, you know, a strip he made on, on Dana at petty early on. He was the guy that completed the the turnover straight away. And, he's, he's, and he, I know Warren Gatlin mentioned um, in the build-up to that game, he's quite excited about using Wainwright more as a carrier because he doesn't feel like that's been... Um, that's necessarily been a big uh, thing that he's managed to get across in his early career so far. Cause he's, you know, we, we talk about his tackle counts, don't we? And they are ludicrous. They're huge. And, and it's not just, you know, he's not just putting his hand on, you know, he's not just dropping guys and getting, staying on his feet. He's burying people. He's burying people and sapping um, momentum from opposition attacks, you know? So there's, there's more to come from it, which is cool, which is really interesting. Looking forward to the rest of the tournament. I think they just managed to balance it because they're disciplined. You know, they're in sync. Um, they're, they're totally, totally um, in sync with the game plan and, and how central they are to that. And they just cover all bases. They muck in between them. They're, they're, it's, it's, been, it's been really cool to watch. And it was especially interesting to see them go up against what was a really you know, Hooper, Hooper and Pocock were good, you know, they were good on Sunday. He's, he's Isi Nassarani got he got held up in the, um, but you know, he, he's he's a good player as well, he's an offloader and a carrier, and I think that Welsh trio, that quartet with, with Ross Morati coming off the bench, I think they came, off, came out of it on top, which really bodes well.
0: I suppose the other interesting facet is, you look at the, probably the sort of, the groundwork that Navidi and Wainwright do, it's probably given Tiprick a freedom to move out into those wide channels um, probably more than he has done maybe since Warburton retired. He, after Warburton retired, he, he seemed to sort of try and inherit that sort of Jackler number 7 role and probably stay quite central, but we've sort of seen him now maybe mix a, a little bit more in the wide channels than he has done for Wales.
3: Yeah, I think, well, I think that's that's what we were talking about earlier on, I think. that Wales aren't going to be a team that are going to overwhelm overwhelm a defence by flooding around the corner and bullying them and punching holes until they until they kind of force a penalty or or score a try. They just don't seem they don't have that physical firepower, so they have to be a little bit more clever with it. And if Justin Separate can move out into those wide channels where it's mobility, where it's distribution of world class among forwards, that can only be a good thing for them. And it can only mean that their attack is is ticking you know because they're playing to their strengths which is which is the whole point you know this world cup's going to be won by the team that knows their strengths and plays to them and gets the most out of them and you know for wales that is having a having a back row like Justin Cipriat freed up to link play in those wide channels
0: we should um probably touch on Fiji because obviously wales have them next um they're looking pretty threatening after that George victory aren't they
3: Three three scrum penalties against the Putin, I think that's bad. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of that's that's. I think it was kind of it was kind of more of a narrative in the in the build up to the last World Cup because I, I think I'm right in thinking that World Rugby had invested a, um, a fair bit of money in 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 coaching, you know, in set piece coaching in the Pacific Islands. I think Fiji just really took it and run with it, and they were they were really good in in that in that last tournament and in the build-up to that to- last tournament as well. And they've, what's really good to see is that they've carried that on, sorry, and where the line-up's a little bit of a mess for them um, and is kind of a, an area where they can be they can be got at. And John McKee, their head coach, has, has admitted that it's taken longer than the scrum to get that right. Scrum's giving these Hollywood, uh, <laughs> Hollywood runners... A platform and a platform, even a semblance of a platform, is all they need. I mean, as, as we saw against Georgia, an overhit restart is all they need to to get that flow and get that offloading flow and and just tear teams apart. So, yeah, the the fact that they've got a scrum, the fact that Wales is is, is looking slightly dodgy, um, makes it makes it interesting. Um, I I do think, yeah, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that Australia game, um, I thought Australia did. You know, by hook or by crook, they are probably lucky with a couple of refereeing decisions, but they got out of that game by really, um, with, you know, with real intelligence. They thought, right, that's not working. And it was sort of the other way around. Is they took Nick White off, brought Wilgenia on, sped things up, but made sure they were controlled and they, they kept the ball in hand and, and starred Fiji, really, and mauled really well. That's got to be the template for Wales. I think they've got to be really disciplined in everything they do. That's what we always talk about when you talk about playing Fiji. No poor kicks. You know, a really kind of um, a really kind of uh, disciplined kick chase. Those sorts of things. I still think still think Wales will have enough. Although you know, semi looked unplayable at times, and um, they've they've got that firepower. That's that's undeniable. But I think Wales Wales discipline can can get them. Um, Get them
0: over the line. Obviously, everyone in Wales is still scarred by 2007, so the, yeah. the the cliche, you know, playing into their hands is still sort of banded about whenever it comes to Fiji. But you'd expect Wales to come out and you know, damn bigger kicking will be crucial. They'll look to to sort of work the line out more as well. But given what we said about how Wales play and everything else. They probably still got to go wide, haven't they? They have to stretch Fiji. It can't just be a case of sort, of not negative rugby, but safety first rugby.
3: Yeah, they've they've still got to get Wales' Wales's strength. One of big Wales's big strengths are their back three runners, back three strike runners, and they'd be crazy not to get those guys into the game. As long as they're as long as their handling is precise, and there were signs that it was looking more precise in the last game, they've got to go with that. You know, it's not, it's not reckless to go wide as long as you're doing that in a controlled manner. Look the most. So over the last four years, as far as a kind of world cup cycle and the trends within that, there's just been this really interesting kind of tussle between teams that like to hold the ball teams that, you know, don't mind as we were talking about earlier teams that don't mind soaking up pressure and scoring off in transitions, the kind of archetypal performance, um, for teams that like to hold the ball was Ireland and Chicago. Now they, they went into that game and sort of a, you know, team that were renowned for kicking, but they, and they kick really well in that game. Don't get me wrong, but they also, um, move the ball really, really well, really precisely. You know, they took, they, they, they spread, you know, they stretch New Zealand from, from coast to coast. Now Wales, can, Wales can do that as well. They'll have to kick with Dan bigger in the side. They will be able, they will have somebody that knows when an attacks lost momentum and when it's time to kinda of cut your losses and, and go deep and, and plug the corners and what they're really good at is following that up and making those kicks into into better kicks because the the chase is kind of connected and, and aggressive and, and disciplined now. They're gonna have to mix it up because clearly they're gonna they're gonna wanna they need to score points and they can't just they can't just invite pressure the whole time against Fiji because something's going to give and um you know you'd be mad to do that against the side with a, against the side with runners like Gonover Randra um Botia, all of those Nakarawa um but you know they, they've got they've got the mouse there to mix it up effectively for sure
0: um i suppose sort of closing things up from what you've seen from Wales so far and from what you you know about their their game plan do do they have what it takes to sort of go all the way in this tournament?
3: I'd I'd say, I think that's that's difficult to say with any certainty for any side apart from New Zealand just because New Zealand are the the team that won the last two, the amount of know-how in that side is just huge. I think uh, what I will say about Wales is I think they've definitely got enough quality to get to a semi-final and then what they do have perhaps more so or at least as much as anybody is that togetherness and that resilience that they have forged over, you know, over, over this winning run, but a long time before that, you, you know, people I've, I've come back to come back to work in England, having been out in, in Japan for these two weeks and English supporters and English kind of people in the office are going, God, you know, when one Wales and that's, and that's, and that's just a, a real endorsement of that togetherness that they've got. And, the resilience they've got because they're just so so difficult to break down, and they're so you know we t- we did t- t- we did talk about them um, getting out to a lead, and I think that's a valid point. But at the same time, you you need to be beyond seven points past them because, to be absolutely sure, because because of that doggedness, because they've got a fantastic captain, um, and they've got they have got X factor themselves as well. So I, th- I think this is just you know we, it, it might be slightly cliche, it's certainly been around a bit to call it the most open World Cup but I would be really uh, reluctant to call anything beyond the semi-final stage apart from to say that New Zealand will be in the mix and what is such a weapon for Wales is that is that togetherness because nobody, frankly nobody really would fancy would fancy having them
0: You mentioned X Factor there, it's probably worth giving you dues. talking about Thomas Williams because he's provided a few moments of X Factor in this tournament I seem to remember that you'd you sort of called him out as a as a World Cup bolter, uh, probably about a year ago.
3: Well, I, ju- I just I just thought is the way Wales play, the way kind of the game's going, really quick, really tenacious. scum halves are really valuable. So look at um, Faf Klerk, um It both of the both both the New Zealand guys probably slightly different, but certainly certainly Kirk, certainly Gareth Davies. Um, if you've got a side that, um, you know the, the way the game's going as far as kind of transitions being really important, just sheer pace at nine is is going to be really valuable. And he just really struck me as this kind of really nuggety, really tough, um, really quick operator with great footwork, good you know good link play, and um, yeah, it's been it's been cool to watch him. But it's is as much as as. About his his traits, his qualities is, is how it how he a player like him fits into playing for Wales, and I think it's kind of it's kind of a good marriage, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and you you can take some of the sort of pride and credit from calling that one <laughs> years months ago, months in advance.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's done the hard work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright um, I think that's everything on the agenda, Charlie. But uh, a massive thanks for joining us on the podcast.
3: No worries, thanks very much for having me mate.